0: Hello, and welcome to another My Time Capsule. If you're familiar with this podcast, you'll know that in it, I, I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, Ask my guest to tell me the five seemingly insignificant things from their life that they would wish to preserve in a time capsule. They choose four things they cherish and one that they would like to see the back of, a sort of regret. And then we talk about these things and whatever else comes up as a consequence. Most of my guests have come from my world, the world of theatre and television. But today's guest, I'm excited to tell you, is nothing to do with the incredibly tough and character-building world of acting. She has made her mark by running and jumping over hurdles for Great Britain in the Olympics. My guest is the Scottish 400-meter hurdles record holder, Ailey Doyle, the most decorated Scottish female athlete ever, with a host of Olympic, World, European and Commonwealth medals to her name. It would take too long to list them all, but Ailey has also captained the Great Britain and Northern Ireland team, and she was the first British woman to win gold at the European Championships for 20 years. The previous winner was Sally Gunnell. I spoke to Ailey via the internet, and of all the people I've been lucky enough to chat to on my podcast so far, Ailey is the one with whom I was most starstruck. I love a bit of athletics. So be prepared to hear me having a brilliant time talking to an extraordinary woman. I hope you enjoy it. You won't enjoy it as much as I did. You've got kids now.
1: I do, I've got yeah, I've got my son, I've got one son, so he was born at the, the start of the year, he's born at the end of January.
0: So that's the point actually, isn't it? When most um, long distance runners, they suddenly become much better, don't they, when they've had a baby.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. Weird. Yeah, that's what they say. They say I think it's like the relaxants and things like that in your well because my plan was to try and come back after having him, so to try and make Tokyo. But obviously it was going to be really tough and, and it was only I was planning to come back for the relay team. Yeah. But a lot of folks said to me, if you can actually come back Within that short space of time, so within like the six months of him being born, you still get the benefits of like I think the hormones and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, it was strange. Everybody was like, "Yeah, you could get back and and, and run even faster," and I was thinking, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> the way I'm feeling just now, I don't think that'll be happening. No,
0: you do see some, don't you? Sort of go and they had a baby six weeks ago, and here they are run. You go what?
1: I know. And, and, and skinny and malinkies as well. Like, no, you know, no evidence of there being a baby. I remember Jess is coming back in the World Championships thinking, bloomin' it."
0: Yeah, I know. You go, that's got to be prosthetics, <laughs> isn't it? You've got to have that stomach put on. Exactly, yeah. and, they, and they deliberately wear a crop top.
1: Yeah, uh-huh, to show it off, yep.
0: <laughs> oh, fantastic. Ailey, it's just lovely to have you on my time capsule. You are my first sports person. So I'm very excited by that. It's really lovely to branch out.
1: Well, I must admit, when I saw your your podcast and who'd been on, I did feel a bit out of my depth. <laughs> I thought there's a lot of people on there.
0: Well, there are as many people interested in, more people, I think, interested in what you do than, than what I do. You just do that pretending thing, you know. <laughs> well we do when we get the chance but never mind never mind we're not here to talk about my problems we're here to talk about your lovely life and the five things that you would like to put into a time capsule
1: yeah this is really difficult actually like there is I kind of ummed and about a lot of things because I didn't want it to be there's there's a lot of obviously a lot of my life is athletics and, and sports so there's a lot of it that you you know I'd love to to say but there's so much more as well like in terms of my family, and, and I'm very close with my family. I think that was the first thing that I initially thought of when you asked me the question. And uh, the first one I thought of was um, my grandparents' house. They had a house uh, mm-hmm. in Connell, which is a little village on the west coast of Scotland. Lovely. And it's called, it was called Strewmore. That's what the house was called. And it used to be a bed and breakfast when they had it. Uh, but it was never a bed and breakfast when, when I went there, when I, was, when I was a child. And it was just somewhere we would always go on our holidays. Mm-hmm. And it's funny now because everyone's doing these staycations and, and staying in Scotland or, or, or you know, going to Lake District or wherever to, to go on holiday. And that was kind of always our holidays. That's the holidays <laughs> we have always known was we always just went somewhere in Scotland. And normally it was up to Connell to visit my grandparents. And and that that house, as it was then, is just something that I would love to have just kept and, and held. I've, I've been back to visit. I mean, my, my, my grandparents died a, a long time ago but i've mm-hmm. we've I've gone up to visit they're actually both uh buried up there so that their graves are up there so we'll go up there occasionally but we drive past the house but it's been changed it's been converted and and to me i don't know if it's the, the house in my memory that is actually the house because in my memory it was this huge massive house and had this big hallway where you we used to play football you know i'm, I'm <laughs> one of four i've got a brother and two sisters and mm-hmm. uh you know, we just run riot around this house and it was a big, massive garden where you just would, you know, you play hide-and-seek-tig, you'd just play loads of games. And uh, and when I drove past it, I went went back there recently with my husband and we drove past it and and I was sort of describing it to him and then we drove past it and he's like, it doesn't look as big as you sort of described I don't know if it's just because I was obviously a lot smaller that it yeah. just seemed like this big, magical house to me. Yeah. Um, and I just have so many amazing memories from that house. And I think if I could just, yeah, have that, capture that house as it was, you know, in my mind of what it was like. Yeah.
0: So in fact, we want the house, but you want it. Mm -hmm. So the dimensions made bigger.
1: Yeah, uh huh. The way I remember it is my little, you know, my little. Are you self. going to have to walk up the stairs on
0: on all fours? And- <laughs> yeah,
1: because it was all different rooms as well. Because obviously, been a it was a B and B, so the rooms had you know a bed in it and then a, a sink and a mirror, and it also had like a wee clicky light and things like that. <laughs> yeah. That was always quite exciting to us that you know you'd had had a sink in your bedroom and <laughs> um, and, and even like different kind of rooms, like a, a couple of different living rooms. You know, one that would have been for the guests at the time, one that would have been for my grandparents. So mm. yeah, it just it, it just seemed like such a a, a cool house to kind of uh to to spend time in.
0: Lovely. And was the garden huge?
1: Again, in my head it was. It was and it had little I remember it was kind of on it overlooked the river and it overlooked Connell Bridge as well. Mm. So it was kind of it was high up. And it always just seemed I always remember kind of little paths that would kind of go into the trees and into the bushes and you could you could run round the whole house. Um, and there was always a bit down sort of by the, the back of it. There was a shed that was always really really mucky and, and kind of <laughs> boggy. And I, I was remember my dad telling us about my uncle when he, he slid down that hill as well. So yeah, yeah lots yeah. of kind of little bits from it that you just remember. Because that was, again, and it encompasses everything of, of, of being that age. Like we were used to sort of, like I say, we'd drive to the north of Scotland or the west coast of Scotland and, you know, we would be all of us in the car, the four the four kids in the back, my mum and dad, and we'd listen to, like, the Corries, you know, there's a, a sort of Scottish folk band and it was mm-hmm. all very, you know, it was all very sort of patriotic and very Scottish, but it was always just, again, like, just, just great memories of holidays and just adventures as, as a child.
0: Yeah. Well, I know lots of people would be envious of you because uh, there are so many friends of mine who are English, who that is the ideal holiday.
1: And see, you get the weather like you—you you could feel like you were anywhere else in the world. Like you know, my husband and I have been lucky enough. I mean, that obviously stuck with me because when I holiday now, my husband and I we always make sure we have a week away somewhere, and, and nor- again, normally on the west coast of Scotland. And we normally go away in September, and and we've had some really amazing weather you know and you've been on these beaches yeah. on the west coast and the you know the sand is white the, the, the water is so clear and you think goodness me I could be somewhere you know I could be somewhere abroad just now apart from obviously if you went into the water you'd soon you'd soon <laughs> realize that you were you weren't you were in Scotland but yeah um and I just find it really yeah it's really nice to kind of explore these different parts of Scotland because again it's your own country and you mm. some people don't know a lot about it no it's
0: a big country mm. when you drive up through it then you realise how big it is. Mm-hmm. So as a child, were those journeys, did they seem eternal?
1: Yeah. And I had, I used to get travel sickness as well. So there was always <laughs> like a, a little empty bucket of an old ice cream tub or something in the back of the car that was known as a <laughs> daily sick bucket, just in case we had to yeah. make a stop. So I didn't really particularly enjoy the the drives so much. You know, I'd always try and kind of maybe fall asleep. Or... And
0: yet probably it's only about 200 miles.
1: Well, that's it now. Like, I used to live in Bath. I used to train down in Bath. So I used mm-hmm. to drive from Bath back home quite a lot, which would take like six or seven hours. And it's funny now, like having done that journey so often, you know, just even driving up to, you know, up north a couple of hours away just feels like nothing to me now. Yeah. It just feels like a short journey. Um so so yeah, I think having having done that so often, um, anything less than five hours seems quite a, a reasonable journey now.
0: Yeah. Oh, fantastic. That September weather in Scotland, it's strange, isn't it? It's almost like they're paying you back for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah. September, it's the best time to go because you can hang on to a little bit of nice weather, but also the midges are normally gone by Mm -hmm. September, so you don't get eaten alive as well. So if you can just plan it, that sort of middle week in September is normally the best time to go.
0: Okay, well, we will put an enlarged version of your grandparents' (laughs) house. And I'll put a few little hidden nooks and crannies in the garden that you didn't discover as a child.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. That would
0: be perfect. We'll put that into the time capsule. So that's the first item. That's the first
1: item.
0: Yeah, what's your second item?
1: Um, So I'll come back to the athletics now. So I think my second item would be my lap of honour at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow.
0: Oh my word, I should imagine so.
1: Yeah, so not the race, not the medal, just the actual lap of honour. I think for me that was, I mean, it's one of the highlights of my career. I, I, I find it hard to sort of pick a highlight of my career, but that's definitely up there as one of them because it was just, everything kind of fell into place that night. It was, you know there'd been so much pressure kind of, on all the Scottish athletes going to the Commonwealth Games when they were in Glasgow. It was something that we weren't really used to because you, you don't get that much media attention unless you sort of are footballer but in terms of athletics there's not a massive amount of media attention there and I remember sort of the, the year before Glasgow there was just so much press there was just so much everything and, and my agent at the time had said to me look there's an opportunity to do this kind of shoot a sort of photo shoot um but it means your your face is going to be in glasgow quite a lot you're going to have your face everywhere are you wanting to do this because it's going to add the pressure on and i remember thinking oh I, I, you know i've always kind of had that i don't want any unnecessary pressure i don't want to 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 put any anything on myself but i remember thinking well it could be quite cool and if it's not going to be me it's going to be somebody else so I'd rather it was was me that was doing (laughs) it so they did this kind of campaign and he wasn't wrong like my picture was everywhere it was on bus stops there was a massive photo outside uh, Glasgow airport and and I was lucky enough because I was based in Bath at that point that I'd kind of missed a lot of it but my family had been quite engulfed in a lot of it and they'd been even asked to do interviews and they, they 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 felt a lot of pressure around it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember coming up two weeks before the Commonwealth Games and being in Scotland and yeah, it just it just felt really intense. It just felt really oh, like, you know, uncomfortable <laughs> and it was oh. almost just like, right, I just want to get this over and done with. I kind of there was, you know, trying to enjoy it and trying to embrace it all, but ultimately wanting it done and dusted, sort of thing. And, Were
0: you the Scottish captain?
1: Well, I was as captain of the athletics team.
0: So that's an extra pressure, isn't it? You've got to oversee everybody else. You've got to help everybody else. And at the same time, concentrate on your own race.
1: Yeah, yeah. and then because my picture was everywhere, they put me as the poster girl and they put Michael Jameson, the swimmer, as the poster boy. Mm-hmm. This is what they kept saying when they were doing like sort of... I remember, what, I didn't go to the opening ceremony, but I remember watching it on telly and they'd said, oh, look out for Michael Jameson, the poster boy, and Ailey, Ailey Child, as I was back then, the yeah. poster girl. And I'm thinking, oh, oh God, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I need that. And, <laughs> And again, they said that at the start of my race. They said it as I was standing on this the start line.
0: Oh, no. Thanks very much.
1: Yeah, I just remember being unbelievably nervous for it, you know, and, and unbelievably nervous right up until the time that I stood on the start line. Once I was on the start line, it was almost like, ah, OK, I know what I'm doing at this point. You know, I think everything else before that was all very new to me. It was all very alien. It was all, you know, all these things that you're not really used to, but actually standing on the start line... I know what I'm doing when I'm on the start line. I know I do that. And yeah, and, and I remember just being able to kind of, it sounds a bit cliche, but almost kind of go into the zone and, and, and run the race and, and mm-hmm. finish the race. And I remember I'd, that whole season, I, in order to keep myself sane, I'd said to myself, you know if anybody asked me like any journalists asked me like are you you know you going to go for gold are you going to you know try and win it what would it be like to win it in front of a home crowd and and all this sort of stuff and I thought I can't think like that because I can't control that so my my kind of default answer was like as long as I leave it all on the track then it's fine I'll be happy with the outcome and that was kind of what my attitude was yeah and I remember crossing the line and I I was I was second in the race but I remember crossing the line thinking oh I've left it all out there I've left it all out there and I was still in this kind of this kind of zone at that point. and And um, my friend was at the finishing line and she kind of shouted my name and she was she just was shouting my name. But because it was all quite, it was noisy, it was so loud, I hadn't really aware of anything. And then I just kind of clocked her voice. And I was like, oh, I know that voice, is it? And I clocked her. And then as soon as I saw her, it was like this light had been switched on. And all of a sudden I could just take in this whole atmosphere of <laughs> the stadium and the crowd. And then it was being able to do lap of honour. It was, it was, It was so well planned because I don't know if my family done this on purpose, but they were all dotted around different parts of the stadium. So rather than just go to people straight away, like the first person I went to was my friend and then she sort of pointed me over to where my husband was and he was there. And then my husband was like, oh, your dad and brother are further around. So then I ran to them and then my old coach was there and then my my cousins were there. And it was was kind of everybody that was there who'd been kind of part of my athletics journey was Mm. there on that night and they were all there on my lap of honour so I could wow. go around and I could just see them and I could just share it with them and and Hamden as a as a, an athletic stadium was just incredible I mean the yeah. atmosphere the noise it was just it was so it was so incredible and I think for me it was I just milked my lap of honour like they said afterwards they said that it was the longest lap of honour anybody had done at the <laughs> championships I think it took me 45 minutes to run around and it was because I was just like I was just trying to take it all and I, I was just I was If i could have been a sponge and just absorbed as much as I could in that moment. because I was thinking it's going to be over soon and you don't get these moments again. You know, you're never you're never going to experience any of this again. And I was just trying to to take as much of it in as I could. And it was just it was just incredible.
0: Well, it's brilliant that you did, because so many people were in those situations. You hear them afterwards say, I don't really remember it. So the fact that you've got that image in your head and I have to say for anybody who saw it on the television, it was a fantastically moving thing. It was so clear. Yeah. The the joy of the crowd mm-hmm. you know at the fact that you'd done what you wanted to do and, and they were so proud
1: and I think that was a nice thing as well because I wasn't like it was a fairy tale ending I didn't win the gold and it wasn't you know but it was it was for me it was kind of like oh, I'd, I'd left it all on the track across the line and then it was like I can now celebrate in the stadium with, with all these you know and, and it was nice because obviously Scotland fans got to see a Scottish athlete win a medal and and yeah, and like I say, just have everybody there that was meant to be there at that time. And, and yes,
0: it's a wonderful thing when a whole crowd like that realises that it's not a disappointment. Yeah. That not winning that gold is not a disappointment. Yeah. It's a brilliant thing that you've done. And they're as excited and as thrilled as you are.
1: Well, I remember somebody had said to me, because... Um, I competed at the the Delhi Commonwealth Games uh, four years before Glasgow and I won a silver at that. Mm. And I remember thinking, "Ah, I think I could have got the gold at that one. I think I could have got gold then. And then somebody had said to me, you either lose gold or you win silver it depends how you've run the race and I remember after Glasgow I definitely thought no I won the silver there you know I did not (laughs) lose a gold I I won the silver that was how that was what my achievement was and it was a kind of nicer a nice way of putting it
0: that's right and let's face it there are Jamaicans in this world it's always going to be difficult that's it
1: exactly (laughs) it's always them
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's just lovely very moving I find it very moving that you have that as such a fond memory otherwise what's it all for
1: well, that's it. And those moments are, like I say, they're over so quickly. So it's all that you know, you, you, years and years of, of training, you know, just for a moment like that, that can be over so quickly, you know. Um, yeah. And it is. It's just trying to save it. And if I, I could, you know, if I could do that again, you know, I would, I would do it as many times as I could because, like I say, it was just such a, such an amazing, amazing thing to be able to do.
0: Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> you can relive it. You can pop into the time capsule. <laughs> it's going to be a big time capsule because it's got a Hamden Park that's in it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's in there. It's in there safely. <laughs> okay, so that's two items. Mm-hmm. So what's number three?
1: So my third one is a smell. Ah. So it's the smell of the hops in Edinburgh. Sort of the, <laughs> if, you've, if you've been, to, obviously uh, you'll have been to Edinburgh and you'll have uh, experienced that, but um, a lot of people don't like it. And I love that smell. It just reminds me... It reminds me of a lot of things, um, sort, of, sort of growing up. So I, I was brought up as a... I'm a Hearts fan, the football club, and my childhood was spent going to Edinburgh a lot to go and, and, and watch Hearts play. And that was, again, mm. a very family thing. You know, we went as a family. There was it was all six of us. So, you know, you would, we'd, we'd go to Edinburgh and get the train into Edinburgh and all go to the football together. And it was a nice kind of light affair sort of thing and and that smell always reminded me of of going to Edinburgh as a family and, and having that but I also lived in Edinburgh for four years when I went to university uh, yes. uh, and again the, the smell of that takes me back to sort of my university time and, and that was <laughs> such a, a great time as well you know just I just love Edinburgh you know I love the city you know and, and being able to kind of live there for, for four years was great you know I just got to know it even better than just kind of being a tourist I always kind of felt I was a tourist when I used to go through with my family and then living there I kind of felt like I had a little bit more credibility of of you know of, of knowing the city even better and I think for me that just it's kind of like a little home you know, a homecoming mm-hmm. as well. When you come into Edinburgh and you, and you, you just know you're there we're in the city when you, when you get that, that smell. And it just, like I say, it takes me back to, you know, those days as a family, but also the four years that I spent living there at uni and the, the friends and the experiences that I had there, which were, were incredible.
0: Yes. That smell depends on, uh, on the direction of the window, doesn't it?
1: Mm, I think so, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It reminds me of food as well, so sometimes it makes me, <laughs> it makes me hungry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you always have a pint when you have a yeah,
1: Well, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what were you studying at at university? P. Ah, well, there you are, you see. So I'm assuming that you didn't drag yourself out of bed at eight o'clock in the morning for an early lecture, feeling like death and the smell of hops would. You know. well my
1: uni days I always call them the sort of the forgotten years because when I went to uni <laughs> I did really kind of experience the, the university lifestyle and it was and it actually it was really interesting. I went to uni when I was I was quite young I was 17 mm-hmm. uh, I was a like, young one in my unit school so I was only 17 when I first went to university Um, and I started in that September and didn't turn 18 until the following February so wow. that first experience was trying to get into clubs and pumps with my flatmates because I was the <laughs> only one that was underage and things like that. And actually my athletics took a real back seat when I went to uni and I look back at it now and I think it was a real blessing in disguise that I did do that. Because from a very young age, I was always very into sport. And I always, I, like I say, I swam for a while and then I did athletics and I was always just so used to kind of doing sport. And it's almost like when I went to university, I kind of, uh, like to say, I became a normal person. You know, I got to actually experience going out with my friends and I all and and I all kind of without realising it I actually kind of quit my sport for a while because I was just kind of enjoying the university lifestyle Mm -hmm. and just enjoying you know that kind of freedom of not having to train and and not having to do anything and then after about second year university I thought actually I really miss my athletics I really miss training properly and and then it kind of gave me the kick, you know, I needed to get back into it. Um, yeah.
0: And so when you come back to something because you want to, rather than you feel you ought to, mm-hmm. it's a big difference, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And you know how much it means to you at that point as well. So rather than just doing it for the sake of doing it, because I, I was I was good at it when I was younger, and I was getting success. Mm. I had to then come back and be quite humble when I came back because I wasn't as good because I had trained and, and, and I put weight on and people were beating me that I would have, Looked at and been like, oh, I should be beating them. So I had to kind of really work harder.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but then it allowed me to realise, oh, this this means a lot to me actually. That I want to work for this. I want to work hard. And I think that kind of set up my. It just gave me a more of an understanding of what it meant to me. I I don't think my career in athletics would have been as long as it as it has been had I maybe not had that little. And I don't I don't like to say it was like a blip because I think it was really useful, you know. Ooh. But it was a blip in my athletics career, you know, because. Well, a lot of people say, like, oh, how successful were you as a junior? You know, you obviously were good as a senior, but you look at my records as a junior and I'm I'm not there. No. Because I wasn't, you know, I didn't compete, I didn't really race, and I did race, I didn't race very well. So I always say that I just embraced the university lifestyle, you know, and I really enjoyed myself, and I think it was worthwhile, you know. Yeah,
0: but it's it's interesting, that attitude to things like that. So coming back and then going, actually, do you know what? I'm not really as good as I thought I was. And I'm going to have mm-hmm. to work really hard to compete with these people. Yeah. At that point, so many people say, oh, well, I was mistaken. Mm-hmm. So actually I'll just, you know, I'll teach, but I won't, you know, it's not something that I'm going to be great at. See, that is the thing that then when you, you know, when Perry Shakespeare beats you a couple of times in major yeah. things, you don't go, oh, well, I can't beat her. Yeah. So I have to stop now because she's always going to beat me. Uh You go, no, well, I'll work harder until I can Mm -hmm. beat her. That singles athletes out, I think, and singles sports people out, because most people would go, well, clearly I'm not as good as I thought I was, and they'd stop.
1: Yeah. Well, and they say that that is the age where a lot of people drop out, so that kind of transition, either from juniors to seniors or from kind of high school into university and, and people sort of moving away from home, that you'll get a massive dropout within sport because it's that kind of either trying to get the balance right or like you say it becomes then harder you know because for for me it was uh, my life was very easy before university because my mum and dad are very they're really into into sport and they were really supportive of my athletics so they would kind of ferry me everywhere so they would take me to training they would take me to competitions and then all of a sudden I was moving away from home I lived in um, halls residence so it was again I'm in charge of my it sounds a bit pathetic now when I, when I think about it but when I was 17 it seemed like this massive thing where I was now in charge of making my own dinners I was having to get myself to and from the track you know I was going to the track myself to train to get my yeah. sessions in and it is a massive thing and it was just too much and I just I thought oh, I don't want to can't be bothered with this you know and it was <laughs> that was it for the for the first year definitely and then for most of the second year as well and then eventually kind of thought that no, this is this is not who I am
0: yeah At least every other Saturday you go and watch Hearts play.
1: Well, that was it. Yeah, that was a nice thing about it as well. (laughs) So
0: that's a very important question. Why are there not more football clubs in the world with that fantastic maroon colour?
1: I know, yeah. And again, it seems to be the colour in Edinburgh because all the buses are all sort of maroon and white as well.
0: So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) I think if I'd been in that area, there's no way I would have gone for the Glasgow clubs. No way. Yeah, yeah.
1: My dad. Well, my dad obviously grew up in in uh, Connell. So technically, you know, I, well, I was born in Perth. So so technically, my local club was St Johnston. But my dad was born, like I say, up in Connell in Oban. And um, everybody at his school was either Rangers or Celtic. They were either the Glasgow teams. And um, he wanted to be different. Mm-hmm. And there was another boy in his class, I think, who supported Hibs, the other end of Edinburgh club. So he thought, right. I'll support Hearts then, and he quite liked the name Heart of Midlothian. Yes, and from that day he decided, right, I'm going to be a Heart supporter, and then he just brought us all up supporting supporting Hearts, and it was all purely, really, because of you know wanting to be a bit different and and, and liking the name, and, and then we've all now kind of been connected to Edinburgh because of that, and I obviously live in Edinburgh, my sister lives in Edinburgh now as well, so we've Mm. all kind of um, yeah, just kind of rode towards the city.
0: Lovely, what a lovely city. Yeah. And I know that smell. I like the smell. I do like the smell of the hops.
1: I think it's either love or hate it. I think, yeah, some people really don't like it at all.
0: No? Well, that's their problem, because you're going to have it in your time capsule. It's (laughs) hermetically sealed, but if anybody ever just pops the top, that's the first thing that's going to hit them. I'll get that (laughs) (laughs) whiff. Fantastic. So we've got two to go we've got one more that you treasure but one also that you'd sort of go oh i wish i could get rid of that okay we're going to take the traditional podcast break at this point so we can hopefully play you some ads but we'll be back very shortly hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank
1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Welcome back. Let's waste no more time and get straight back to the delightful Ailey Doyle and find out what else she'd like to put into her time capsule.
1: So my last one to treasure is, and again, this I undernawed about this for a long time, but I think it would be my Olympic medal. Uh. Not because it's my greatest achievement or anything like that. It's not it's it's not the medal that means the most to me or anything like that. You know, I think actually the European gold that I won is probably my greatest achievement, I think, that one. Um but my Olympic medal, I think it just kind of symbolises all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got um 17 or 18 medals in total for major championships. And, and you know, and they vary over the hurdles and as part of the relay and over four hundred meters.
0: Yes, is it not the fact that you are the most meddled Scottish athlete ever?
1: Most meddled Scottish athlete ever, yes. Uh-huh.
0: You weren't gonna say it, so I thought it important that I say
1: <laughs> it yeah so it's, it's nice it's and and, and that's the thing and i think with medals as well like you just got them you know they're they're there and you can look at them and you can keep them and again you can show them i think that was when you asked me about the podcast and you said you know things you would show your grandchildren and that mm. is something that you you know you're looking at me and I think oh these are great because these can get passed down and they can be shown to like i show it to my son when he's older and he can yes. see what you know what mummy did and things like that and but i think the, the olympic medal is the one that stands out just because of it almost represents them all. And, and when I think back to when I was little and when I first started out, I always dreamed of being an Olympic athlete with without really understanding what that meant, you know, and not really understanding the, the, the effort and, you know, the reality of it. And, you know, and, and again, being able to actually, it all to come together, to be able to run that race on that time and that night at that championships and to be healthy and to be injury-free and all these things. And I think it's funny because, you know, when... I'll, I'll do visits and I'll do I'll do talks to, to kids and businesses and I'll go around to schools. And I remember when I won my Commonwealth medal and my European medal and taking them to schools. And it was nice, you know, because people would be interested in it. But when I first took my Olympic medal, it, it was just a different reaction. Mm. You know, it's people just so excited about it and just thinking, I've never touched an Olympic medal before. And it was almost... It almost allowed me to appreciate it more as well yeah. because it was like because because you're in that world and you get caught up in it and you're so fixated on running you know trying to nail your time and trying to nail for me my stride pattern or whatever and 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 you can always be really critical about how it, you know how you ran and and I remember the Olympics for me I, I'd, I'd I'd nailed my hurdles race I'd, I'd, I'd ran such a great hurdles race but I, I finished eighth yeah. and I remember thinking that's not fair. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I ran my best race possible when I was eighth. You
0: know, how, how how is that? But eighth out of the world, eighth from the world. It's astonishing. Yeah,
1: and sometimes you need that perspective. But I remember just being really heartbroken after hurdles thinking, I did everything right there and it wasn't enough. So then to be able to kind of go and run the relay and actually win a medal, mm. I almost felt a bit, you know, kind of thinking well good I deserve to take something home you know, I'm glad I've got a medal it wasn't necessarily the medal I was initially hoping for but I've I deserved I feel like I deserved a medal so I'm so glad I'm taking something home and I think it's just all that is kind of representing when it, when, I, when I look at that medal I see so many different things and I see all my medals before and, and and yeah and that one just like I say it wasn't it's not necessarily what I would say is my greatest achievement but mm-hmm. the Olympic one just yeah it just brings everything together and again like I say takes me back to when I was little and thinking about being an athlete and then to actually be able to, to go to the Olympic Games. to actually to have an Olympic medal is nice to, you know, and like I so say that's the one that always always people just react so lovely to it. And, it and it allows me just to kind of sit back and be like, oh, I can, yeah, okay, I can, I can, you know, be appreciate this yeah. even more
0: now. Only someone with an Olympic medal could describe it as nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's almost mythical. It's such an astonishing thing. Mm-hmm. It's, I can absolutely understand why you go for that medal because it's the dream. It's the thing that sets people off, isn't it? Yeah. So to have been there in itself is an extraordinary thing. And, and again, yeah. that thing of being able to show it to your children and then grandchildren. And the great thing is that almost everybody, when they look back at past generations, remembers those people as old people, mm-hmm. whereas they will look at you and remember you as a fantastically fit young person.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> but they will,
0: because the medal will make them picture you that way. Yeah. You can't help. You will look and you will go, wow, she was the eighth best runner. Yeah. <laughs> over hurdles. <laughs> And that's that's brilliant. Yeah. It's a brilliant thing. For people like me outside of that world, it's an astonishing thing. Just the idea of actually just going to the ground would be yeah. so exciting. You know, 2012 for me was I was constantly in tears because I was there. Yeah.
1: Well that was my first Olympics and I must admit it was I was totally and utterly overwhelmed. I, I went into that just completely almost like I shouldn't be here Yeah, you know going into that Cause I remember walking in and, and I was sharing an apartment with Jessica Ennis as well and oh, and no sort word. of seeing the tension around her and, and the pressure and then and even but even just walking around the Athletes Village you know you were seeing people and I was seeing people I'd seen on telly and like and People always out out with the athletics world because obviously you know there was a lot of people seeing you know Usain Bolt and being completely starstruck. But again, when you're in the athletics world, you see him quite regularly. Yeah. So so he wouldn't necessarily be. But for me, it was people like um, the Williams sisters and tennis and Djokovic and and then I met Sir Chris Hoy who. I I just think he's brilliant and yeah. I remember meeting him and just being like I can not speak, I can not talk to him, you know, and <laughs> and just being totally overwhelmed by it and just thinking, wow, this is this is just something else, you know, it's just just crazy and that yeah.
0: Yeah. I can understand how that would divert your brain away yeah. from the job in hand, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, a race. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. You know, oh <laughs> Lord, terrible. But it is strange, isn't it, those things. In my life for coming across people like that. You know, I once had to escort Linford Christie to his dressing room. Yeah. And he'd just won Barcelona, so he'd just won the gold medal. Oh, okay. And he was a god, as far as I was concerned, mm-hmm. but such a sort of a, a polite, humble, sort of shy man. You often see people on the start line, you think to yourself, well, I know that you're quite a gentle, quiet, mm-hmm. reserved person. How are you now going to drive yourself to do this incredibly physically demanding thing? Painful thing, because there's no doubt anybody's ever run anywhere knows that eventually <laughs> running becomes really painful. You know, when athletes are at that height, and yet still that last fifty meters is like they're going to die. How do you cope push with that? Through, yeah. How do you push yourself through that?
1: Well, the thing is, for me, I always think the competing side of it is the is the easier part because all the hard work has been done. You know, so it's kind of for me, it's always when I go to race, it's a just execute this race the way you've you've trained for it it's those training sessions where you're you know your legs are falling off or you're you're being sick at the side of the track you know (laughs) trying to get through but I always I always just kind of thought where would I rather be just now would I rather be on this track being able to do this you know being healthy being injury free you know or would I rather be somewhere else you know and I always answer I'd rather be on this track you know going through this and that was kind of the action I took into racing as well to help with the sort of the mindset as well. When I was standing on a race, it would be like, Where would you rather be just now? We'd rather be, you know, at home watching the telly. we'd rather be standing on the start line about to race. And it was always, Well, I'd rather be here, you yeah. know, and, and ready to race. And but yeah, I mean, I suppose the four inch hurdles is, is over in less than a minute. But mm-hmm. you know, if you look at some of these guys that do the, the longer distance in the the marathons, they might tell you it's it's it is a lot more painful doing oh, the I'm race than sure. it is actually training. <laughs> I
0: can't imagine it, it's just it's astonishing. Um. Mm-hmm. How on earth do you almost run four hundred meters hurdles at the same speed that you run four hundred meters when you 've got to jump those hurdles? I mean, what is the difference between your two speeds well
1: it's about it 's about three seconds which is actually what they say is what it should be you know right. it's pretty that's pretty solid I think there's some people that are um very good hurdlers that will maybe have like a closer differential or some people that are just that are just so quick mm. that they're actually they're, there's a bigger gap but they say it is roughly three three seconds should pretty much be what it is but yes. but it's funny like I don't I don't like on too much the 400 metre girls but I find the hurdles easier than the 400 <laughs> metres because it, it breaks the race up you know the hurdles <laughs> you've got your stride pattern so you're focused on your stride pattern so you're thinking right 15 strides between this hurdle 15 strides between the next hurdle yeah. and by the time you've kind of focused on all the hurdles you've literally got that last kind of 40 metres to run in. Mm. Whereas the four hundred metre flat, you can time it wrong, basically. You know, whereas oh. the hurdles almost allow you to get the balance of the race right. Whereas the 400 metres, if you, you, you can time that wrong. Yeah,
0: we've all seen that, that terrible, yeah. terrible thing of somebody coming around the bend <laughs> and thinking, yeah. you know, and being 20 metres mm-hmm. ahead and thinking, this is it. And then to watch yeah. them turn into rubber. Oh, it's horrible. That's
1: it. It's all over. Oh,
0: Lord. Okay, well, uh, in that case, let's find out what your your fourth item is going to be. We will put your Olympic medal into the time capsule. Yeah. Well done. Congratulations from all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
1: Um, So, yeah, so again, I was... I don't like to have regrets like I always whenever I kind of and I was thinking again what would I put in you know what would I get rid of and I always think if I've had a you know if I've had a bad race because there's you know for every great race you have there's there's normally five or six shockers that you have and, <laughs> and I've always thought would I put them you know would I want to get rid of them but I always think that's the ones you learn from those are the races that you, you get the most from those are the ones if you didn't have that shocker there you didn't it means you didn't probably have that success there so I've always been quite Logical and, and and trying to analyse the bad races and 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 not sort of regret any any races that have not gone my way, but there is one that um, <laughs> that I would like to get rid of forever. It is okay. a four hundred metres, and it was back in two thousand and nine. And I just changed coaches that year. I'd been with my coach before that since I was about eleven years old. I was in my twenties, and I thought I need to kind of make a change. And I just changed coaches, and a lot and a lot of people were sort of looking at me, thinking like, "What is?" has this been, change been a good thing? And, and I remember going to my very first race this season thinking, right, I need to prove a point here. I need to okay. show that what I've done has been the right decision. It's been the right choice. I want to prove everybody wrong that this is this is the right thing that I've done. And it was a 400 metres and uh, and I ran it <laughs> and uh, started the race, felt great. Ran through 200 metres and a new 200 metres PB Ran for 300 metres and I knew 300 metres, personal best. <laughs> got to about 70 metres and I thought, oh, I'm feeling great. And Got to about 70 metres to go and I thought, something's not right here. Something's Things aren't aren't going, things aren't are stopping to work. And I just started to get this build-up of lactic acid and my legs just started to cramp and I could feel everything just kind of tightening up and I could feel my shoulders coming up to my ears and my legs just kind of, my stride shortening and shortening. I remember this thing can just get to the line, get to the line. <laughs> and uh, I got about a metre for the line and I just fell flat on my face. Oh. I fell flat on my face and I had to crawl across the line. And I remember the commentator, I, I didn't hear what he was saying throughout the race, but I just remember him saying at the end, end get across the line, Eileen, get across the line, oh. you know, because I was trying to like scramble across. And uh, I was just, I was all, I, I, I don't know how I fell, but I was all just cuts and, and bruises all around me and I had to go in, uh, into the first aid uh, St. John's first aid <laughs> no. sort of ambulances. And I had to go and sit in there. And it was, I remember at the time as well, because I just started dating my husband at the time as well. And and he was there. And I remember him coming in to, to see me in the first aid room. And I was just all covered. And I just, just humiliated, just so embarrassed <laughs> that this had happened. And, and like my old coach was there watching and, and my family as well. This, this race was in Wishaw near Motherwell. Mm. And my brother-in-law, his family are all from Wishaw, So they all came to watch as well. So all my family were there watching. And it was just a nightmare. And then again, like to this day, my family still will, will make jokes about that. And they'll always say, you know, remember Wishaw. If you
0: ever get boastful about something. They'll
1: yeah. knock me straight back down with the Wishaw story sort of thing. So that is one that I think. And it, and it did, like, I can joke about it now, but I think at the time it really did hit me quite hard because then I went and did a couple of 400s later on that year. And I I was really tentative at the start, you know, I didn't want to make that same mistake again. Um, But I always say to people, you know, you need to experience what it's like to get lactic like that. You need to experience what it's like for your legs to just stop working, (laughs) just for you to actually not be able to actually stay standing, for yourself to fall flat on your face. I've never run that hard before that that, that I've actually lost control of my legs. (laughs) And it was... um, no, I experience. I would like to. I'd like to go through again, but one that, that was 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 quite incredible. So yeah, yeah I think everybody should uh, once in their life try and experience what it's like to to hit lactic acid that bad. But it was oh. yeah, it
0: was awful. So then, did you for a few races after that? Did you get to the end and think ah, I've got much more in the tank?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. So well, it was funny because that obviously was a four hundred flat, and the next two weeks later, I ran my hurdles race, and I actually ran faster over the hurdles. Then I ran over the four flat when I'd fallen on my face, sort of thing. And and um, and it was in. We have this. Um, it's called Power of Ten, where you have all the rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the whole year, I was ranked in the four hundred metres for this time that I'd done. But I, I always kind of wanted somebody to put a little asterisk next to and say that I'd. She fell in this race. That was <laughs> why our time over the hurdles was quicker. But um, but yeah, so it was. But I remember I, I was I was called up for my very first GB international, and I was doing the hurdles, but they asked me to do the four by four as well. And I was putting third leg for the four by four, and the, the coach said to me afterwards he said I thought you were going off like you're running the fifteen hundred meters. <laughs> he said you just went off so tentatively, and I finished so strong. And and yeah, it did it did knock my confidence a lot. You know, it took me a while to kind of get back into swinging things after that. You know, over the over the four hundred flat especially.
0: Yes, but then that learning process that all sports people talk about, the learning process of failure.
1: But that's
0: it, yeah. It's a brilliant thing in life. I mean, actually, it's a wonderful life lesson, I think. Exactly. That thing of going, Mm -hmm. well, I really messed that up. So Mm -hmm. I'll remember that next time. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, that terrible 400 metres race where you fall flat on your face before you can even make it to the line. I'm going to put that there. I'm going to put a little board with the time on it, and I'm going to put a tiny little FU next to it. Which uh, I don't know if you know that, but that stands for fucked up.
1: (laughs) I was hoping it would be that word.
0: (laughs) Ailey, it's it's been an absolute joy talking to you. (laughs) Thank you
1: very much. I
0: feel very honoured that you've given me your time. Thank you. Oh,
1: thank you. It's been great. I've really enjoyed this. So thank you very much for asking me.
0: You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton Stevens, and my guest. Ailey Doyle. Proof that being a celebrity isn't everything. Sometimes it's better to have actually done something with your life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then you can subscribe to it on ACAST, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And once you've subscribed, then you'll never miss another episode. That sounds like a threat, doesn't it? I apologise. You don't have to miss another episode if you don't want to. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for all the latest info about my time capsule. This has been a cast-off production. The producer was John Fenton Stevens and the music was by Past the Peas Music. Right, I'm off for a gentle jog. Hmm. You never know where it's going to lead. Well, in my case, the off-license, I should imagine. Cheers.